Hi, my name is Stephen Bucknell um, and I'm the great nephew of Siegfried Sassoon. I am a member of the adult male chorus. I have to ask you first, because you're the first person I've had a chance to ask, about the significance of the title and the beautiful tree, because I only came in sort of halfway through. So is it resilience? What is it? Well, I think it, it can mean different things to different people, but I think it means hope for me anyway, and, and you know, something, you know, a brighter future, particularly after all the horrors of war. And has this been a legacy that you've had to carry on your shoulders? Has it been good or bad being in the family of, of this great poet? I, I've never really thought about it too much. I mean, it's, it's something you, you're brought up with, and I was always aware of it, but it's just one of those things, I mean... Um, you know, it hasn't been a burden, um, and it's just been nice to be involved with, with this opera. So do you live locally? I do, yeah. Where? Sorry. Uh, North End, which is about it's about 10-minute drive from here. Marvellous. How did they find it, you? Well, it was, it was slightly strange, because I, I, w- I went to a, a workshop, um, I think it was over near High Wycombe, um, and a very wet and, and winter's evening, and um, the, it, it sort of it turned out that they were doing proposing this opera with a theme which involved Siegfried Sassoon. So it, it was completely sort of uh, uh, it's a complete surprise. Mm. So I went up to um, Jessica, who was who was who was writing the opera, and um, and introduced myself. And I think she was a bit blown away by it. Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible. <laughs> just inter- thing. It's an interesting coincidence. Yeah, yeah. it's clearly there's someone playing your great uncle on stage. He's he's young and dapper because he's Bradley, in the yeah. war. Yeah. So how does that feel? No, it feels, I feel, feel very comfortable with that. Mm. I think he does a great job. What exactly, in that adult chorus, so what, what is your function, all of you? I mean, are you supportive family? Are you in a village? What exactly are you? Because you're in the present day, really. Yeah, we're, 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 we're in the present day, and we have various roles. I've got various roles. I'm a, a member of the community, and it's set on a sort of housing estate. Um, so it's, a, it's about a community and about a family who are, um, who've got you know, numerous children, and, and, and some of them decide to join, join the army. Um, so there's that role, and I've got a role um, in the training camp as a soldier, and then on the battlefield as a soldier, and then finally back in the community when the soldiers come home from the war, um, there's another community bit involved at the end. And how does that feel, actually, the battlefield bit must be particularly well, I think, moving? Well, I, th- I think, yeah, I think it's you know, designed to sort of um, evoke the chaos of war, and, um, yeah, it, it, that's, what it, that's what it tries to do. So the modern-day battle is set where? Uh, it's set in, in, in the Middle East somewhere. It's a, a, a desert location. Yes. And uh, from what I could see, the two modern soldiers who are at the centre of the action, one of them is maimed in battle, the other one has clearly got post-traumatic stress, hasn't he? Yeah, and I think, I think you know, the psychological effect of war um, obviously you know, had an effect on Sassoon, um, and I think that's, you know, that's part, of, part of the story. I've been looking over some of your great-uncle's war poetry, which features in the show sung or spoken or both? Yeah, I think it features five of his poems, so it's, it's an integral part of the opera. They're inter- interwoven into the into the story and they're sung. Um, I think they are spoken as well, but yeah, mainly sung, I think. So It's a difficult one, isn't it, because the message has got to be about the horror of war. Does it also in any way cover whether war can ever be necessary, do you think? Um, you'd have to ask Jessica that. Yeah, I'm going to ask Jessica <laughs> I am going to ask her that this evening when I speak to her. just got this wonderful, smaller member of the cast to speak to and see what, what it all means to her. But it's been amazing to meet you. Thank you, Judy. Very nice to meet you. Yeah. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you for coming. Thank so you. this is Judy. This is Maya. Hello, Maya. Chloe. Yeah, so tell me about Chloe. Um, well, Chloe's the youngest person of the family and she's the only sister and... Well, her two bigger brothers are going to war and fighting, but Leo um, 
is staying at home. That's a younger, he's younger than the other two, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. yeah. Now, I saw a scene where there was apparently some, a fight going on in a playground. Was that something to do with Leo? Um, yeah, it was basically, so the boys start off going hut, two, three, four, like as in they're in a war, because all of their brothers and sisters have gone off. Because it's Jackson and they sing oh, about right, the so they're war. bullying him, aren't they? Kind of, yeah. yeah. So this community has got lots of soldiers in it. So what's it made you think about war? Um, it's made me think that war is pretty scary. Absolutely, yes. And it would have a horrible effect on a family involved in it, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, and how has it made you feel? Because it's talking about the First World War, but it's also talking about modern war. So did you know anything about... First World War before? Um, uh, well, I, th- I learned a bit about it, but um, so there were loads of trenches mm-hmm. and loads of bugs, and um, it was really dirty and it, you couldn't really bathe. So, can you really feel the horrible effects of if, if you had big brothers that went off to war? Have you got brothers and sisters? I've got a sister who's younger. Mm, younger, right, but, but you can, you've really yeah. put yourself in the shoes of this little girl whose older brothers are in danger. Right? Mm. So what does this experience mean to you doing this? It's really fun and like kind of learning where you're going and then it when you finish it off, it just, it's like really amazing yeah. what it looks like. So it'll be amazing on Friday. Yeah. Are you looking forward to that? Mm. Um, well, yeah. Well, fine, you've got to go back to rehearsal now, but has this, how's the singing been? Because I loved you singing Soldier, Soldier, Won't You Marry Me? You were in that, weren't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, it was. It's really fun learning all of mm. it and then actually singing mm. it. Yeah. You've got this incredible smile and, and really enjoyed meeting you, Maya, and you're also having a wonderful time, but I think you'll be late Thank and you'll you. be in trouble. Thank you. <laughs> My name is Jessica Duchin and I am a writer, I'm a music journalist, a novelist, a playwright I suppose, and this is my first opera libretto and this is the performance of a dream beyond my wildest dreams. Well it's a, it's, it's a stunning piece of work, I mean just the sheer number of people on the stage and the different ages that they are is something astonishing and they're they're awfully well drilled aren't they i mean they really know what they're doing and they're so into it i was quite jealous actually so you (laughs) you could tell there was a wonderful spirit between them all on the stage i love your idea of bringing the first world war together with with warfare now but through the figure of of siegfried sassoon because he's a local man it was Siegfried Sassoon just because of the local connection, is that right? Um, that was why we needed him as opposed to any other poet, yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, did, did, he used to go to the original Garsington, which was further into Oxfordshire, and he would visit Ottoline Morell and stay with the, these wonderful sort of Bloomsbury mm. set house parties and yeah. uh, met everyone there, and he did a fair bit of writing there as well. So he was very much the, the sort of local war poet of Garsington, I suppose because he was one of the few who actually survived. What it meant to me was that, so I thought, right, I must have a look at some of the poems 
because, you know, we, we all think we know secrets of swimming poems, but I guess what we know best is everyone suddenly burst out singing. That's probably his best-known poem, isn't it? But yeah. Isn't it interesting how he sometimes covers the same sort of territory as, as Wilfred Owen, who is, I suppose, the slightly better-known... His, his actual work is perhaps better-known, and yet in such a different way, and it's so immediate. It's, it's, it's almost not poetical, if that makes... I mean, that's a compliment. Do you, did you feel that? Um, oh yes, very much so. I mean, I, I have a very, very soft spot for Secrets Assume, actually. I always have. I think we've used two complete poems and then bits oh, of bits. several others. We have a, most of Glory of Women um, and a, a couple of lines of The Boys Came Back and then, of course, a, a reasonably substantial quotation from the Declaration Against War. Yeah. We've used the, the whole of The Humbled Heart and the whole of Everyone Sang. Roxana has kind of combined that poem with the Silver Birch song. So the chorus is singing the Silver Birch song and the soloists come in over the top singing, everyone suddenly burst out singing. And the last words in the opera are, the singing will never be done. It doesn't leave you laughing, necessarily, but hopefully it's a stirring sort of end in, in yes. its own way. Oh, yes. I, I mean, the whole thing is just so beautiful, and the music's gorgeous. It's obviously, it's, you and Roxana are, are a wonderful fit. I loved the Siegfried Sassoon. There's a character in it, and he, this rather gorgeous young man playing mm. him. And he's wonderful, isn't he? Yes, I think... I think Perhaps Sassoon would have been very flattered. Because you, you found out quite a lot about Sassoon, didn't you, via Stephen? I mean, you, you went to visit older relatives who knew him. So you were only yes. one remove, weren't you? Yeah, very much so. I mean, Stephen's aunt, who is actually a nun, um, she, she's called Jess Gatty, um, she is the person who remembers him best because he became her godfather. And Sassoon actually converted to Catholicism yes. quite late in life. And... Um, when Jess was doing some, she, she was a, a, very, a very young woman. She was probably, I don't know if she was still in her teens or her early 20s, but she was finding her vocation, kind of finding God, I suppose. And Sassoon became her godfather and she would go to him for spiritual guidance and to kind of help her make that decision that, that she was going to become a nun. So she was close to him and she was able to talk about you know, how he how he looked, how he talked, how he dressed, how he drove. Wow. It doesn't sound like he was the greatest driver in the whole world. <laughs> well, that's the wonderful works. thing about meeting these people is that you learn all sorts of unexpected things. Yeah. And um, I think although what you see on stage is, is very much the, the tip of the iceberg um, of the research that we did and of, of what everyone's learnt about Sassoon, um, I think it's relevant in that um, you know, Jess and her sister Rhoda both knew Sassoon after he had kind of gone, gone into the into his country house and become a rather a recluse mm. and he sounds very kind of removed from real life and very very much in a world of his own and of course our Sassoon in the opera is effectively a ghost or mm. the representation of a spirit that is guiding Jack in some ways 
but he would he will come over that way he will come over as someone who is is remote and removed and watching everything from rather a distance yeah well it's it's, it's a a beautiful thought as i said and i wanted to ask you whether you thought war was a necessary evil after you know given all the awful things that you've found you know, you found out, you've had to work about, you know, on post-traumatic stress and all the rest of it, and all the things we always imagine, I mean, the horror of the war poetry, but can it ever be in any way justified? I mean, you know, I suppose that's the biggest question of our age as, as many others, just at the moment, isn't it? With all no, the awful very war. much so. How did uh, you feel about that? Oh, um, I don't believe that weapons are the best way to solve the problems in the world. Um... Having so said, as long as humans have been around, as far as we know, there have been wars. And it's just that the weapons have got more and more and more horrible as time has gone by. Um, so, I mean, on one hand, I am quite passionately anti-war. But on the other hand, I think that going in and beating Hitler was absolutely necessary. Yes, that's what I wondered. You know, I think there are a lot of wars that are misconceived and mismanaged and carried out for the wrong reasons, and I think that is absolutely appalling. But I think there are circumstances like Hitler when there's really no choice. And I think the important thing is that our leaders can actually tell the difference. Yes, uh, exactly, because you're, the play... Um, I, actually, I have to tell you, I also interviewed one of your Chloe's. Interview is not a big word for it, because she was lovely. We were having a lovely chat. And this was Maya... Um, oh, she's so sweet. Absolutely adorable, and she's so into it, and she, she was absolutely wonderful. And um, she was explaining to me that it's set on, I think it's set, it's set on a, a housing estate where a lot of people do become soldiers, so her, it's both her older brothers. Uh, her, uh, and she's got three brothers, hasn't she? But the two who are old enough to be soldiers have gone off to be soldiers. So is that, was that you know, an important leap for you to find the setting that you wanted, where, where people might go for soldiers? Because I suppose what, what the people we're seeing on stage uh, are people who are, who are, many of whom will have relatives who are soldiers. Is that, that, is that right? Yes, there's an implication that, that Jack's rather unpleasant father, Simon, mm. had, in his, in his younger years, he had tried to be in the army for a while and it had all gone horribly wrong for him. And he ended up burying his army cap under the silver birch tree. Right. So that's one reason he's uh, he is kind of rather bitter and twisted. Yeah, I what, I'll tell you something else. I I I love this is um, slightly tangential. And I want to talk, talk about in a way about your actual writing. You know that line in The Winter's Tale that Autolycus is a snapper-up of unconsidered trifles? I think you might be a snapper-up of considered trifles because I love you using, and there may be more, but I, I noticed Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. So you've got a, you know, your main character's called Jack, so that's there. And I really loved you using Soldier, Soldier, Won't You Marry Me? I thought that was a mistress stroke or a master stroke, whichever you want to call it. So I, and I, there may be more because I didn't see the whole, obviously the whole production. But is that something... You know, do you like to do that? You well, know? just to, to take bits and pieces yes. from here, there, and everywhere. Yes, that, that um, might that people might know as well. Actually, I have to say, using "Soldier, Soldier" was Roxana's idea. Oh, right. Okay. She, she called me up and said uh, oh. she, she had the idea of basing the whole playground scene on that song, mm. and I thought actually it's a, it's a fantastic idea. It's something that you know the kids will love it. And it adds some lightness. It adds some humour, and she's 
use it very, very effectively in the music throughout that scene. Exactly, because then it, it gets sort of bent and made more minor and slightly more sinister and so forth. It, it's absolutely beautiful. That's so, great. I'm very pleased you like that. in a way you, you um, find sparkly things and bring them <laughs> back to decorate your nest in a way oh I like that there's that, that's beautiful so so you do you think do you think that composers are magpies too a little bit or or not because... I, well I think it depends on the composer but definitely they can be I don't know I mean in silver birch there are that thing is quoted and um, there's a there are bits and pieces that are not exactly quoted, but are based on ideas of one sort or another that are pre-existing. So the Silver Birch song is a kind of, yeah, it, it sounds like a folk song, except mm. that we wrote it. It's a, not exactly a pastiche, but it's based on the idea of a traditional folk song. Then there's a, there's a pub song, Poseidon, in the final scene, which is based on the, the idea of all those... Um, to, you know, rule out the barrel. you and Roxanne about the silver birch how you found the idea of the silver birch and what what it signifies to you and um, Stephen said it was hope um yes I mean, the silver birch is a, a metaphor for a young person growing up so that at the beginning you have the the baby and the tree and they plant a tree when they have a new baby and the two are going to grow up side by side um the, and the idea for this actually came from a school's workshop that I did with Karen, our director, in a local primary school in High Wycombe. When we were talking to the children about uh, the idea of going away to war and what, would, what they thought might make them do a thing like that and what, how they would feel if they did and what they would miss... And most of them would say, oh, they'd miss their parents, they'd miss the dog, they'd miss the computer or whatever. And then one little boy put up his hand and said he would miss the silver birch tree in front of their house oh. because his parents had planted it as a sapling and watched it grow up. Oh. And I just thought, my God, there's the metaphor. We, we can use that. Absolutely beautiful, isn't it? I and mean, it really works because you've got the tree right there on the stage. Exactly. Mm. Yes, and if you think what happens to a, a tree over its lifetime, I mean, they, you know, they're buffeted by the mm. elements and they're damaged by people and chewed up by animals and just subject to all sorts of, of environmental hazards of one sort or another. And yet, spring will come back and they'll still they'll grow new shoots and they'll grow new buds and they will come back into into leaf and back into bloom, and um, that. In a, it's about growth, it's about the, the things that happen to us as we grow up and that as bits get knocked off us, sometimes it actually makes us stronger. Yeah, and, and I, so in a way I suppose um, Stephen sort of nailed that with hope and resilience, that's definitely in what you said, isn't it? So yeah. that's what the feeling he got from it, I think that's a good one. So um, 
it's an incredible undertaking. So the, the two important things I need to know is, I know you've got this wonderful relationship, a very special relationship with Roxana, but um, your working method, I mean, do you were you together or were you sending things backwards and forwards? How did it work? Was it mostly you first or her first or both? I mean, did she um, write music before you wrote words or vice versa? It's been mostly, it's been sending things backwards and forwards. Um We've we had a lot of meetings to you know, to try things out as well, um, but it, it's all been deeply collaborative. I think with, with a lot of other people in addition because of the nature of the project. So I worked very closely with Karen from the beginning. Yes, your director. And I went with Karen to do all these workshops with the schools and with the adult community chorus. And uh, I went to meet Stephen and his his Sassoon family. Roxana was was sort of kept fully appraised of that she was working very hard on another very big project at the time, so she wasn't in on absolutely everything. But we we sort of kept her posted as we went along, and I think it it was really when she met the when when we cast the opera when we had the characters in mind and then we found the right singers. I think it was after that that she really started writing the bulk of the music because she wanted to know who she was writing for. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, yes. And I, I was just trying to sort of imagine you, whether whether you sat down together. What about the actual story? Did you write the story first or did it sort of evolve with all the people who were in it? Well, the, I mean, it, it evolved before Roxana started writing. We had the, the dramatic structure in place. We had a lot of the words in place. And, I, I mean, I would kind of call her up and say, look, I have this idea that we could have a thing called the Silver Birch Song that would run through it all and that would be a kind of folk song that would be the heart of it. And she she would say, yes, that sounds good. And then I would have to go off and write the Silver Birch Song. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, so you dropped, dropped yourself in it. You know, she knows what will work musically, um, which I might not necessarily know myself. So, and have you been to lots of rehearsals? Um, I've been to a few. I think she's probably she's been to hear the orchestra rehearsing, mm. which I haven't yet. Do you know, I only obviously only heard it was piano, and I thought obviously, obviously there's going to be this orchestra, but it was it's there's something very beautiful about just the rehearsal piano. Absolutely, I, I really like it actually. But mm. she says the orchestra's going to be stunning. This is so ambitious because this whole idea of involving the armed forces themselves, and you've got a, a, an ex-soldier, haven't you, who is now. Yeah. In a wheelchair, with, but yeah. but I think he's a wheelchair user, all right. If you know what I mean, he's using it and he just gets about, doesn't he? That's it. It is the gentleman in the wheelchair, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, he's, right? he's amazing. Yeah. Be Luke Delahunty, who's yeah, yeah, he just got about, doesn't he? He was wonderful. But you had a lot of input from the armed forces community. Is that right? Yes, um, I interviewed several people who had served in, in the armed forces in one form or another. And the chief one among those is a friend of our director. He, he's actually the husband of our director's close friend from childhood, mm -hmm. just by pure coincidence. But he was on the front line in Iraq in, during the taking of Basra. And I spent a most astonishing afternoon with him um, while he uh, we sat down and he, he told me his entire story from the beginning. So I was able to ask him all the questions that I needed kind of filling in, like why he joined the army, what his situation was that made him go in that direction, and what he had been through, in, you know, first in the training and then in 
what actually happened when he was in Iraq and surviving post-traumatic stress and all kinds of horrendous stuff when he came home. So his story has fed very much into what happens to Jack. He, he did have a brother who also joined up, as Jack does. I don't think he actually had to save his brother's life the mm. way Jack has to save, Dave, save Davies. Mm. So I think when you have, uh, at the beginning of the opera, you've got Davy kicking the football around, and then at the end he's kind of hobbling around mm. with, with crutches and obviously traumatised and the, the sparkle has gone out of him. And I think just that imagery is quite telling. The war they go off to, is it, is it just a war in the Middle East or is it meant to be the Iraq war? We haven't said because mm. we didn't want to date it too Good much. Good idea. Mm. Um, mm. It, was, you know, it could be Iraq, it could be Afghanistan. Mm. I have to say when we started this, when we were doing the bulk of the writing, which was about two years ago, I was absolutely convinced that by this time we would be somehow involved in Syria. Mm. I was afraid that it might end up being Syria. Um, fortunately, that hasn't exactly Not exactly. Come about. Um, though possibly it should have, I, I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, you could see it as most likely Iraq because the information in it that, that I've used from Jay um, was about what happened to him in Iraq. Yes, yes. Let's just run over. You've got Foley artists in it, which is an amazing thing to have people who can do sound effects. I mean, it's like being at the BBC all over again, isn't it? Yeah. You've got an orchestra. You've got pretty well, it looks like a whole school. I mean, <laughs> an awful lot of children of different ages. Uh, you've even got a baby. You know, it's all very well your press release saying aged 8 to 80. What about your under one-year-old? The first first cast member I met was, she was having a tantrum at the time, as, as well she might. She'd been taken oh, out right. by her mum. And, and, and I, there's a baby in it. I mean, it's just incredible. And then it looks well, like a whole village. I'm sorry, I didn't realise they were using a real baby. Oh, it's very real baby. Well, you wait. She's absolutely gorgeous little thing. Apparently she's just under one years old. I mean, it looks like a whole village on the stage there, really. I mean, which is what it's meant to be, effectively, isn't it? So, well, the, the funny thing is that I've been telling all my friends, well, we've, you know, it, we've got everyone and everything in it. We've got children and adults, amateurs and armed forces and youth dance and children and um, everything except the dog in the kitchen sink. And now I, I you've turn got up a dog now. yesterday and there's a kitchen, <laughs> implicitly a kitchen sink and there is indeed a dog. Yes, there's a very nice black Labrador. You know who mm. the owner is? Mm. It's our lead tenor. Oh, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's <laughs> He's actually Jack's dog. Well, she, sorry, her name is Poppy, but she mm. is actually Jack's dog. Obviously, everyone's getting an enormous amount out of it. They might how long have they been rehearsing all those millions of people that it seemed to be on the stage? Um, I think the amateurs started in January. Mm -hmm. Where are we now? July, good grief. Yeah, they can only rehearse once mm, a week. Of course. It's mm. like every Tuesday evening or something. Yeah. I'm not sure about the school kids. I don't know exactly how that's worked. And the for, for the um, professional soloists, it's been uh, it's all in a day's work. Yes, I suppose so. Yeah, so it's the same shit as any opera for them. Yeah. Your school children are so brilliant. Is, is there actually a choreographer as well? There is, yes. Yeah. There, there's a movement director, yes. Natasha Kamjani. Well, she's done a very good job, and because it, it the movements are really meant and they're, they're brilliant. 
and they all know them so well, and that, that, you know that that's why they're able to enjoy the rehearsal and get on with it. I mean, I know at this stage they jolly well should anyway, but you know, I was very impressed at you know by the way they knew where they were meant to be on stage and what they were doing, and and the emotion they managed to put into us a bit where they're all leaning on each other towards the end, yeah. supportively or whatever, and that that and many of the children involved in that, and that's absolutely beautiful. I think one of them is comforting your 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 marvelous man who was the wheelchair user, for example, and, it's, and they have to keep really still. Uh, but it's it's beautiful. I mean, they're lovely, lovely with movement in it. The tableaus are gorgeous. You know, I think you're on to a win. Isn't it going to be rather sad to do it for so few performances? Um, well, it's the, the thing about these projects is you never know how they're going to turn out until they turn out. Mm. So I guess they, I think they probably could have sold another one if they had scheduled one. it. Um, but we, we have to see how it goes. And you, you never know, they could, if it's an absolute smash hit, they could do a revival or someone yes. else might want yeah, to do that's it. That's true. Um, another place might want to do it, or take, take a co-production or something. Um, but I think we just have to see. We have to see how it goes, how it goes over, what people think of the thing itself on stage. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? it um, the last community play they did there was very specific to the local community, but you're quite right. This one could travel. It's got legs. So I hope um, so. Mm, just to ask you, you're a, a Jewish writer. I mean, are you a practicing Jew, and does it impinge on what you do? Because there's a lot of religious feeling in this, and I know Roxana writes a lot of religious music, and you have as well with her. I'm talking about any religion now, but, you know, does, is religion a thing that interests you, whatever it is? Well, not desperately. I'm culturally Jewish yeah. rather than religiously. I had very limited Jewish upbringing. You know, we were Jewish enough um, not to have Christmas, but not Jewish enough to have Hanukkah. <laughs> you really were missing a tree. You could have both. <laughs> Lucky I have a December birthday. But I, mean, I, I feel a lot of affection towards Jewish traditions and Jewish backgrounds and ceremonies. My husband is, is Jewish. His parents were both refugees from Nazi Germany as children. His mother was on kinder transport. Mm -hmm. So all these things are very important to me, and culturally it's very important to me. But actual religion is mm. not really my thing. No, I suppose I meant culturally. Have you drawn on it culturally at all for any of your work? Because obviously that's a time of high drama and there's been an awful lot of drama and so forth about the kinder transport, but it's such a, a defining thing, isn't it? I mean, I, I got a lot of friends who are children of kinder transport parents and, you know, it, it's now even the grandchildren. It means a lot to them as well. It's a very defining thing, isn't it? Very much so, yes. I think, I mean, there are enough stories in my husband's family to keep me in novels for the next 20 years, actually. But uh, I suppose if, if I've drawn on it, there have been a couple of times that spring to mind. And one is um, my most recent novel that came out last year, which is called Ghost Variations. And it's the true story of how the Schumann Violin Concerto was rediscovered in the 1930s, so it kind of unfolds against the background of rising fascism and, and um, rising xenophobia in Britain and the rise of Hitler in Germany. Um, so that was quite powerful to research, and that certainly impinges on the novel. And the other is a thing I wrote with Roxana a few years ago. It was a commission for a choir in San Francisco called Chanticleer, and it's a, a choral piece based on a story from the Gnostic Gospels 
And it's about um, the boy Jesus bringing a dead baby back to life. And um, the way I managed to identify with the story was actually to set it very much in the ancient Jewish community that implicitly it probably would have been happening in. So there are a lot of images of mourning drawn from Jewish traditions in that. What Roxana wrote is, is absolutely beautiful, and I think it went over pretty well in San Francisco. Mm. So there may be maybe more more to come from your very fruitful partnership. Hopefully, well, we'll see. We'd, we'd love to have having developed a taste for writing operas. We'd love to write another one. Right. Okay. I hope someone's going to listen to this and say, "Oh, must permission then." Then. So, and I know you you go around with Ghost Sonata. You've you've found a way of actually using that live, haven't you? With with music. As a, being played. That's yes, very much so. I have a violin and piano duo friends who are absolutely wonderful, who I work with a lot. And we do narrated concerts based on some of my novels, and most particularly ghost variations. And we've got some gigs next season, which we're very much looking forward to. We're going to the Brasserie Zadel. Oh, yes, I know it, yeah. And also we're going to Berg House in Hampstead. That's a very original idea you've come up with there. I think it's really something. It even went over well at a, a local golf club that <laughs> asked to the, the treasurer came and heard a performance and said, oh, that would make a good event for our club and mm. they absolutely loved it yeah. just finally just to go back to silver birch what what do you and roxana want audiences to take away from it um i think we want them to have a very good time i think we want them to feel that opera is for them mm-hmm. and opera is is a, a powerful way of telling a story that is very human and that belongs to everyone I think we, we want them to feel that it's not something that is, is sort of remote and elitist, but is absolutely rooted in human beings and their communities. And um, we hope that they will love the music and be moved by the story and enjoy the, the presence of Siegfried Sassoon in the present day. And I hope they will leave wanting more. <laughs>